One week in, about 19 to go in the NBA regular season, and we're back. This is Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm JP Chunga. Back to the regular schedule because I wanted to let Dennis Lindsay breathe a little bit. Interview with the Executive Vice President of Basketball Operations. Make sure to take a listen to it. Sets the expectations, gets you into the jazz groove, okay? It's still evergreen, still prescient for the moment. You can listen to it on your podcast feed. Just find it there. Today, we're talking to Noah Eagle, radio play-by-play man for the LA Clippers. You met him a couple weeks ago. We're going to keep that conversation going. It's pretty lighthearted. They have similar opponents to Utah, so we get to talk about those guys in the Western Conference where they stack up, who he's liking, who he's not. What he's seen, there's some Portland conversation that you'll enjoy because that's one of the squads that's in that jazz range. If you look at the Zach Lowe tiers, you look at any NBA tiers by anybody credible, Utah's in that range. So we'll talk about that with him. Happy New Year. We made it to 2021. Thank you so much for taking the leap from 2020 to this wonderful new year. Enjoy it with some jazz basketball as I'm sure everybody's still trying to get into that NBA mood. I know it's a little difficult with the way that you could say happy new season. Well, for Coach Quinn, he said last night, team hasn't played well since Portland. Two and two on the year. There's much to be improved. We all saw the debut. First game of the year, playing against Portland, a team that had so much hype around it. Dame Lillard, And the Jazz come out. Not only do they hold Dame to less than 10 points, first time that that's happened in a couple years, four years. They shoot 53s. They're playing fast. They play that energetic, that amazing style that we saw in the preseason. It carried over. Well, then there was a step back. And that's what you're seeing from last night. If things go optimally, it's not playing at the Suns' pace. Suns are one of the slower teams in the NBA. Kind of a product of Chris Paul and the way that he plays. Well, the Jazz want to go up and down. They want to shoot threes. Look at the way that they played against Portland. Everybody knows 53s. Okay, so how many of those shots, what was the frequency in which they were shooting those threes? Against Portland, 51% of the shots were threes. Against Minnesota, 33% of the shots were threes. Against OKC, 39%. Against Phoenix, 37 So the book's out. Everybody knows what the Jazz want to do, so they're playing super aggressive on the wing, on the perimeter. The past couple teams have had the horses to push the Jazz off their spots. They'll be in every game. You saw how they were able to get it to be a four-point game against the Suns. They closed late against Minnesota. They can keep it competitive when they don't play their game, but it gets a whole lot easier once they impose their will. And it's been a weird season. It has to be understood. This is a weird year, right? COVID and all. Ever heard of it? Yeah, still happening. So we have to keep a little bit of that in mind when we consider what we watch. All these crazy results. Clippers, Mavs, Pelicans, Suns, Heat. Bucks. Weird games. But add on top of that, for this Jazz team, Donovan hasn't even broken out yet. 
He said as much last night. Hasn't played to his level. Nobody's asking for him to become Bubble Donovan, where he's scoring 50 a night. Nobody can average 40 a game in 2020 basketball. Sorry, not happening. No Wilt Chamberlains out there standing two feet above the latest defender. But his offensive game can get the Jazz going. And he also copped to it last night as well. Defensively, overhelping everybody's overhelping, that's another problem. There's so much stress put on Rudy to defend around so many offensive players. If not everybody's locked in, it's too much. And that's what the defensive player of the year is still making it a top 15, top 10 sort of outfit. So a lot of room to grow. Things to keep an eye on, I'd say, going forward for the Clippers and the Spurs on Sunday. How many threes are they taking? What's the frequency of those threes? Do they cross that 40% threshold and playing with pace? The other thing that these aggressive teams defensively have done, turn the ball over for the Jazz. And that's led to a lot of those tough offensive outings. And screen assists. Always watch screen assists. Oh, no more. No more. Exactly. Screen assist is, is now screen assist is now beeped on this podcast. He got paid. I don't want to hear about it anymore. I don't want to hear Matt Harpring say, oh, did you guys know Rudy Rudy Gobert? Ten screen assists. Did you guys, did anyone know? Has any fan ever heard of a screen assist? We actually track screen assists now. Every game the Jazz are like, hey, did you guys know we actually track? We all know. <laughs> that was Zach Lowe of the Low Post on ESPN. You know his thoughts. If you want this podcast to pay more attention to Tweet at us, at Utah Jazz. Tweet at me. Accost me to talk more. We get in a little bit with Noah, but let's be honest. No need to go off the handle, start using to justify his play. He's still amazing. He's still a defensive player of the year. Let me know on Jazz Social. And if you're there, make sure to check out Niall Campbell, new addition to the squad, her IG Live with Elijah Hughes. Just go to Instagram. It's cataloged there. What's it like to be a rook in this jazz locker room? Check it out. IG for Utah Jazz. Before we get to Noah, I just wanted to say a sincere thank you to you, the listener. Don't take any of you for granted. I appreciate that you've stuck with us through 2019, through a stoppage in 2020, sticking around and still downloading and still wanting to hear about this team, wanting to hear interviews from P.J. Carlissimo talking about vaulters to Jay Billis bringing up Wingspan. Keep downloading, let others know, and we'll continue in 2021 giving you fun Utah Jazz podcasts. With that, let's get to Noah. Radio voice of the L.A. Clippers already got his origin story last time, gives his background, the lineage, how he doesn't drink coffee or enjoy salads. Listen to that origin story and pair it with this second interview. Here he is, No Eagle, on Round Ball Roundup. I wanted to pick up on the Spider-Man conversation that we had last time you were on. Yes. I caught into the Spider-Verse, and it was phenomenal. Really enjoyed it. It's, it's very well done. For anybody who hasn't seen Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, highly recommend. It's a different take on Spider-Man. And if you're, I'm a big Spider-Man fan. I always toggle back and forth between my favorite superhero, honestly. Sometimes right. I wake up. Who sometimes is it? I wake up, I'm like, you know what? I'm a Batman guy. 
And then I go, ah, I like Spider-Man better because he's got real powers. And I'm like, ah, I'm Superman. I got a similar Clark Kent type of look. Some people have called me the Jewish Clark Kent over the years. It's no big deal. But I feel Spider-Man is generally leader in the clubhouse and Into the Spider-Verse only held my love for that hero. So I'm glad you enjoyed it. You grew up around there. I was a little offended that this Spider-Man and his origin story from Brooklyn, when he's originally from Queens, Mm. I'm sure people from Queens watched that, got a little taken back, but then you realize, oh, Peter Parker, no longer in the picture anymore. The real Peter Parker in all these dimensions, he's always gonna be from Queens, but this one, this one's from Brooklyn. Shout out to Brooklyn. Yeah, no, they, they really expanded into a different borough, which is great. My dad's from Queens originally, so I still have oh. some roots over in Queens family in Queens. So, yeah, I think that was probably part of the connection to the real Spider-Man. And Peter Parker was like, oh, yeah, we're from the same place if you go back into the family history. But I do like the fact that they're expanding a little bit further. And if you haven't seen it, check it out. There are like six different spider people. John Mulaney is the voice of one of them and, and kills it per usual. I'm sure you, you figured that one out. It's a very distinctive voice to figure out John Mulaney. But yeah, they not they very hard to figure out who's John Mulaney. They say, That's well done. That's well done, JP. Bringing out all the stops early regular season action. Uh, Jake Johnson in there is one of the Peter Parkers as well. They, they, it's a good cast. Good movie. I don't know why I'm like becoming the spokesperson for Into the Spider-Verse, but I'm not mad about it at the same time. So glad you enjoyed. We'll be seeing Spider-Man, Spider-Mitchell. Yes. uh, Friday uh, as the Jazz take on the Clippers. Uh, This recording on a Thursday, so we won't be covering this Suns game, which is also a mutual opponent between these two that the Clippers will take on after they face the Jazz. Let's start with what you've seen from LA. I mean, last night we had Kawhi's mask. How do you describe Kawhi's Hannibal Lecter, Phantom of the Opera mask on the radio? I think you have to, you have to also include Iron Man in there. It definitely had a little bit of an Iron Man feel at the mouth area. Hannibal Lecter was really the most popular choice. Our pre and post host, Adam Oslin, who does a great job on the radio, was the first one to point it out right away when it came on. He had, he was all over it. He was all over the Hannibal Lecter a lot of my calls ended up being skewed towards Jim Carrey's The Mask. So at some point oh. I said, somebody stop me when hey. he had a big move. Had to, had to be done. I mean, it's hard not to. It's hard to ignore that when it's right in front of you. But I always feel like when guys come back with the mask on, they play better for some reason. It's been a weird trend ever since Rip Hamilton started it with the Detroit Pistons in the early 2000s. And I'm sure it even happened before then. But I feel like once Rip put it on, and then all these other players, we've, we've seen Kobe with it. We had seen LeBron with it. We'd seen Kyrie Irving with it. All those guys had big games with the masks. And Kawhi came back with a bang, certainly in the third quarter last night. I was shocked that uh, it was the middle being open, right? It's not a, this is not a Fauci-approved mask, all right? You, got, you have to cover your nose when you're wearing your mask out, out in the open. This one had that little opening, and I'm sure – you know, it takes a little bit of, of getting used to, but uh, him being able to talk and looking at the injury where it came from, getting elbowed in the face, I'm sure that impacted the way that that, the, that team played. But then you see the final score, they obliterated the Trailblazers that night. 
Yeah, it was it was all so strange with Kawhi. We weren't sure what was going to happen when he was going to be able to return. There was a chance that he was going to be be returning the, the night before against Minnesota, but they decided let's give him one more day to recover. He had eight stitches right in his lip area, and that's not an easy thing to to go out there and keep breathing through, to play through, sweating all over it. So they wanted to give him the extra time to let that wound heal even further. And that's why the mask was configured in such a weird way. It's because it covered that more than anything else. It was really just to cover the outer lip area, and so they had to keep it over the forehead as a result. But they wanted him to be able to breathe through it, so that's why that middle part of it was open to allow for the nasal package. I'm really getting very technical with my you have to. medical, Come on. yes, with my medical expertise, my deep medical background. But they were allowing for the nasal passage to be cleared for Kawhi Leonard. And he came out, he played well. And quite frankly, just about everybody on the Clippers played well last night. It was a really good team effort. You're starting to see them gel together. That chemistry is coming together. Serge Ibaka has been invaluable. And he even has allowed for Kawhi Leonard to joke after the game. He, he, He cracked a joke through his mask, his actual government approved mask this time the Clippers mask but either way he, he was saying how Serge Ibaka should be on the trade block after he made fun of everyone was calling Kawhi Leatherface and so this was stuff we really didn't see a whole lot out of the team last year and it's really cool to see them do it already five games in this year. What's been uh, the change offensively you see uh, their second in the entire league offensive efficiency the passes were up and that's what they highlighted on the NBA TV broadcast yesterday. How has the offense changed when you go from Doc to Ty Lue? It's all about that ball movement and throw that. It's, it's crazy to think how high their offensive efficiency has been considering the one game that I'm not going to bring up that happened on Sunday against another Western Conference team in which the Clippers did not even reach 75 points in that game. And they only had 13 total assists. But in three of their four wins this year, the Clippers have had 30 or more assists, including 32 against Denver and 32 against Minnesota. They had 30 last night against Portland, 22 in the first game against the Lakers in the first game of the season after a sluggish preseason. And to put that in perspective, the Clippers only averaged 23 assists per game over the course of 72 games last year. So the fact that they've gotten a 30 or more they were going back to last season. They're now 11 and 0 when they get to 30 assists in the game in the last two years. So they did it only eight times all of last season. They've done it three times in the first five games this year. It's all about ball movement. It's all about attacking the paint. That's something that T. Lou has preached a whole lot. He said that in that game against Dallas, the one that I, I claimed I was going to treat like Voldemort and not mention, and I just did. But that game, they only had 16 total paint attacks. He said that was a season low, and it should be a season low moving forward. They cannot only attack the paint 16 times and expect to generate good offense. The last two games, they've come out. They've attacked the paint at will. They have found the open shooters, and then they're not looking for good shots. They're passing them up for great shots, and at times even becoming almost too unselfish. But you want that to be the case early in the season. Make sure everybody's getting involved. And their two superstars are the ones that are leading that charge. Both of them had seven assists, both Kawhi Leonard and Paul George had seven assists last night. They led the team in assists against Denver. When that's been the trend and those two are setting the table, everybody else follows suit. I was wondering going into the year, who's going to be this team's point guard? Uh, It seems like maybe the best point guard that this team has is sitting on the bench in Chauncey Billups, right? (laughs) Uh, But now that you've seen what they've got, and and how they're playing, I mean, 
this assist by committee, this offense initiation by committee seems very comparable to the, the jazz a little bit in how, how much is being put on Donovan and he, him taking the ball up and starting the offense, getting things going. And then Mike Conley takes over with the second unit. And then you have also Joe Ingles, who's another option at point guard. I was concerned with how many point guards the Clippers had, but seems like things are working out so far for him. Well, a couple of things have happened this year already. Uh, moving Avica Zubac to the second unit, he has blossomed in that role. He was already great with the starters last year. He played fantastic basketball last season, but now it's similar to Utah. I think these teams have a lot of similarities in the fact that the Jazz have a great starting center, Rudy Gobert, one of the best in the NBA. Serge Ibaka has come in as the Clippers starting center. He brings a wealth of experience. He's a championship-level player, won the title in, in Toronto a couple of years back. He's led the league in blocks per game on a couple of occasions. He's been one of the best defensive players in the league. So you've got two top-tier starting centers. And then you go to the bench, you've got two starting caliber centers coming off the bench, and Derek Favors and now Avica Zubats. And what it's done for the Clippers is it's opened up opportunities both for the starters and for that bench unit. For the starters, they can go five out. They can spread the floor, and it allows for Kawhi Leonard and Paul George to be the, the facilitators, to have the ball in their hands, and to run the offense through them. And that's exactly what Teron Lue had preached going into the season. Why wouldn't we want to run the offense through our two superstars, two guys who are arguably top 10 talents in the NBA? It makes sense. You want the ball in their hands more often than you don't. And the other big thing in that starting unit that's happened is Patrick Beverly has shot the lights out. Coming in the last night, and I haven't even seen the updated stats yet, but he shot it well last night as well. He was 47% from three-point range through the first four games. And you might say, well, that's not going to continue. But I would argue differently because from December 1st to the end of the season last year, he shot 46% from three. And it's not like he was taking two shots a game. He takes three, four, five three-pointers every game. He just makes them. And the same thing happened the year before. He got off to a ridiculously sluggish start from three. And then from December on, he was lights out. And to put that in perspective, that 46% for the rest of the year was fourth best in the NBA. So in a catch-and-shoot situation, Beverly has been lethal. He's also been creating his own offense from the perimeter. And so you combine all those factors, and you can play that spread offense with that first unit. The second unit comes in, and the other saving grace of so far in the season has been Reggie Jackson. He's come in, and he's played mistake-free basketball. That's something that the Clippers didn't have last year. He, he made a, kind of, a ton of mistakes, and he'll be the first to admit it. The first game this year against the Lakers did not play well. Teron Lue sat him down and said, listen, this is what we need from you. You just have to go out there, make open shots. You have to be the facilitator. You have to be the floor general of the second unit. And he has listened. Games two, three, four, and five, he's been fantastic. He's made great plays. And I think that that's rubbed off on the rest of the second unit. So to have Avica Zubac, a starting caliber center, have one of the best if not the best bench players of all time, and Lou Williams next to him, Lou Kennard, who can shoot the basketball, and certainly when he gets in rhythm. And eventually, when Marcus Morris does return to the lineup, maybe Nick Batum slides into that second unit. He's played great basketball. So, so far, so good, and we'll see if the trends continue. But all of those factors kind of thrown into one, and they've been okay without the traditional point guard role. What kind of rhythm are they in? Because the Jazz, number one game against... Uh, Portland, they open up the season, 53s. It goes phenomenally. They, they blow out Portland. 
Second game against Minnesota, you're playing a team that has confidence in the beginning of the year. They might not be picked to be in the playoffs by the prognosticators, but this is early. This is when the teams have hope. Hope is a dangerous thing, Noah. And they played very well, getting Utah off their spots, and it's a little bit of a a bounce-back performance against the Thunder. One really impressive, one in the middle, one at the bottom. I think everybody knows that the Clippers have had a low point of the season against the Mavericks, but where are the other uh, performances in, in the way that they've been able to play? All things considered, with a brand new coaching staff, it's not even like, oh, it's just a, a new head coach. Most of your staff is still intact. No, no, this is, for the most part, a clean house. They did retain Brendan O'Connor as an assistant. Jeremy, Jeremy Castleberry comes back as an assistant, but they have a basically – a new house and new faces all around. So that includes the staff that includes Serge Ibaka and your starting lineup. That includes Nick Batum, who's been in the starting lineup for the first five games. That includes Luke Kennard, who's a big piece in the offense. All of those factors considered the four games they've won have been about as high as they possibly can be so far. And this team will tell you they're nowhere near where they know that they're going to eventually reach that level that they believe they can get to. But the offense has been beautiful to watch so far. It's so different. You mentioned the passing. They're averaging far more passes just alone per game this year than they were last year. And it's resulted in much better looks from three-point range, from inside. Teron Liu, the the thing he wants most, he's very – the whole staff is very big on analytics. They want threes or they want looks at the rim or they want free throws. Any of those three will work. So uh, the game against Denver after that game, we talked and he said, the the thing that I like the most is that 83 of our 93 shots either came at the rim or behind three point line. That's a winning recipe for us. And he's right, especially with the way they've shot the ball in the wind so far at Denver, they went 19 of 38 from three. They shot about 50% from three again against Minnesota last night. They shot the lights out 14 of 21 from three in the first half. So the one game they lost, they went four of 33 from three-point range. It was a 12.30 start. They had gotten in at 3 a.m. the night before. You can go through all of those variables. None of them are excuses for the type of performance that we saw. But you throw it out the window, as Teron Lu said, throw that game tape away, and you move on to the next. And I think that's been the most impressive thing the last two nights is the fact that the Clippers, they didn't harp on what happened on Sunday against the Mavericks. They said, all right, you know what? What's in the past is in the past. Let's move forward. Let's bounce back and show people that it was a bit of a fluke. And I think they did that in the last two nights. Now, these next few games are tests. And the Clippers' first six games are not easy. The fact that they had the Lakers, the Nuggets, the two Western Conference finalists, beat those teams. They had the Mavericks, who was a playoff team last year. They had Minnesota, who, as you mentioned, comes in young, healthy, and and, and not quite, although Carl Anthony Towns missed the game, but young and, and looking to prove a point that they're someone that can compete for a playoff spot. Portland, we know, is a very good team in the West. And now you've got two teams that are vying to be potentially top four seeds in the Western Conference with Utah and Phoenix. So those six games we knew going in, okay, that's, that's going to be a good test to see what do the Clippers look like to start the season. And I would say, is my math off, by the way? Is that seven game? I don't know. Either way. Uh, You're not a math yes, major. Seven. I'm not. No, I'm not. I do words for a living. Uh, seven games are going to be a great test. And if they can find a way already at four and one to get even just one of these next two, I think they're going to be feeling pretty good. You use your canard nickname yet? 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's in you there. have the Nard okay. Dog. And it got someone recognized it on Twitter, and that's all I cared about. I just needed one person to recognize it, and I felt like it was an accomplishment. I've gotten that one. We've had uh, Nick Batum. We for three. So we're we're working some stuff in. Good to hear. Uh, looking at the week one in the NBA broader scale for things. I think Portland is a team that everybody was high on. You saw them last night. Uh, we mentioned it just talking in the beginning. Uh, I saw Portland uh, in that first game of the regular season. Dame has a lot on his shoulders. He's the meme right now of Ben Affleck carrying the Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> sometimes you make it to the car. Everything's great. And then there are some times where you drop a few things. And that's going to be their season. If Dame can be to that level, he can win a game against anybody. He really can. Did it against the Lakers uh, before he played the Clippers, I believe. I mean, Dame is so impressive and, and their guard combination with C.J. McCollum, they, they can be a thorn in the side of anybody that they match up in the playoffs, but it's a lot counting on those two guys. Yeah, unsure of what their ceiling looks like because they're really talented. And, and yeah. if you do look outside of what Damian Lillard brings – they actually added pieces that I think will help them this year and, and make them better than what they were last year. Robert Covington is a great addition. Didn't play great last night, but we know what he's capable of, whether it be with Houston last year or Minnesota or Philly before that. We've seen what he can do for good teams. So that's a great addition for them. Derek Jones Jr. provides a little bit more pop athletically, offensively, defensively, all of it. They were awful defensively last year. They were among the worst teams in the league. They've gotten better on that side of the floor. Bringing back Ennis Cantor to me was a good addition. Gary Trent Jr. didn't play last night, but we know that he can go off on any given night. So they, they've got all the pieces in place, having Nurkic healthy. Zach Collins is going to miss a couple months, which is a bummer for them because he, he can be an X factor as well. But the pieces are all there for them. It's just about everybody collectively playing together at the same time. It seems like, well, when Dame's going, that means one of those other guys isn't. When CJ's going, that means one of the other guys isn't. If they can all put it together and Dame's going to give you 30, CJ's going to give you 25, Trent and Carmelo can give you 15 apiece. I mean, this is one of the best te offensive teams in the NBA. It's all going to hinge now. Can they get the stops on the defensive end? But you're right. Damian Lillard, we know he's capable of single handed I mean, the dude had three 60-point games last year. Only other person outside of Wilt Chamberlain in NBA history to do that in a single season. That's pretty impressive, to say the least. And he's capable of doing that again and again. So I think they're a fun team to watch, but I'm not entirely sure what their ceiling looks like at this level. I was, I was looking forward to last night's game, and, and it was good that it was on NBA TV. So it was good to get a little view of Portland a couple days after the Jazz saw them. The one that I've also enjoyed just watching on those national games, Phoenix. They've been super impressive with the way that they've been playing. And we saw them in the first two games of the preseason. They did not look like this. Uh, the Jazz were, were probably at the peak rhythm uh, for the way that they were playing during the fake games early on. <laughs> uh, what have you seen from Phoenix? Uh, we'll be able to see them last, uh, last night, I suppose, when this comes out. But the addition of Jay Crowder into that starting lineup – People around here know Jay and the way that he's played, the muscle that he adds for a starting lineup. Uh, what have you seen from the Suns in the way that things are coming together and coalescing around Devin Booker? Uh, yeah, speaking of underrated signings, I thought the Jay Crowder signing went way under the radar. That dude, 
he just helps team. He just, he's somebody that you know you can insert and he's going to make winning plays. He's going to be tough. He's going to do all those little intangible things that you can't necessarily keep track of on the box score. And I thought that he was perfect for that Phoenix team because what they've done now, the last few years, you've seen the makings of all the talent that they've brought in. Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson, who a lot of people question that pick. I loved it out of North Carolina. I saw that dude up close, and you knew if you saw him at his peak as a Tar Heel that he was an NBA player, and he was an impact NBA player. And he's proven that now about a year and a half into his NBA career. But we saw all those makings of those young pieces, that young core together. What they were missing were veterans that could take them to the next level. They had veterans, but they weren't the veterans that were at the points of their career. Like Jared Dudley was on the team a few years back with Devin Booker and would rave about what he had to say. But Jared Dudley, he's a great locker room guy. He's not someone on the court that can take you from A to B. And now, yes, I love the Dudley hype up the crowd after a three type of uh, situation that he's created for himself. Especially against Ben Simmons. Yes. Oh, well, if you want to talk about that back and forth was incredible when he was in Brooklyn in the playoffs in that first round series. What they've done now in Phoenix, I love. They bring in CP3, who is literally known. We saw it with Shea Gilgis-Alexander last year. He gave him a doctorate in point guard play. And you guys got to see him a few days ago. Shea is one of the more dynamic playmakers in the NBA already. And he's only in his third year. He's already made some ridiculous leaps as a playmaker, as a scorer, all of the above. And a lot of that is because Chris Paul took him under his wing. So he can do the same thing for Devin Booker or for Mikel Bridges or for Cam Johnson or whoever else they have on their team. Then you bring in Jay Crowder. He's got the toughness, the grit, the hustle. That's, exactly what DeAndre Ayton had been missing. That's what they wanted to see, some nasty out of DeAndre Ayton. So you bring in the right guys now to to help that maturation process of all of those younger pieces. And that combination to me is perfect. It's exactly what Phoenix needed. We knew that they played hard in the bubble. We saw what they were capable of. And so I think that's what we're seeing already. The the easiest prediction you could make was DeAndre Ayton was going to have a huge leap of the season because – All you have to do was look at when Chris Paul got to the Clippers, DeAndre Jordan led the league in field goal percentage. When Chris Paul got to the Rockets, Clint Capella led the league in field goal percentage. Centers that play with Chris Paul are always rewarded. And so I would expect that Aiton's going to continue to eat. And obviously we know Devin Booker is going to eat no matter what. So this this Phoenix team is a lot of fun. They're really good. Not sure what their ceiling is either. I think we need to see them more consistently to actually make that decision. But so far, I've been impressed. I, Phoenix won the other day without Booker or Chris Paul having to do much against the Pelicans. I was super yeah. impressed with just just how well they were, A, defending, because I don't think we saw that during the preseason. B, how, how well run they were in the way that they ran that offense. So you could already tell uh, Chris Paul was having an influence on what they were doing. And you just see it in, in the passes that CP throws. Uh, I know around here, Darren Williams against CP, huge conversation. (laughs) Every single game, Darren Williams would outplay Chris Paul. Well, in the other games, it wasn't towards that same A-plus point guard level. And that's what CP brings. He just just has it to the the mastery of the position where it's just – it's watching a savant getting things done. 
It's watching Francesco. It's I, watching Francesco do the <laughs> do the pasta and the cheese. It's oh, amazing. Oh yeah, he's a master. He had the perfect ratio of pasta to cheese every time, and that's important, by the way. You need to make sure that your ratio pasta to cheese has to be perfect each time. Al dente fam. That's right. Hashtag al dente fam. Hashtag only al dente forever. But either way, first of all, I, lo- I always love those debates, the CP3 D-Will, because D-Will in Utah was, was, he was amazing. something else. He was great. He was great. The, the problem I always had with the debate is they played completely different styles. Like D-Will was going to attack you every time he had the ball in his hands. He wanted to go downhill. He was among the strongest point guards I've ever seen. The dude could just rumble through people. And CP3 was more of that IQ, more of that, all right, we're just going to shred your defense apart. So completely different styles, but both were incredibly effective. And those Utah teams with, with D. Will and Booze were a lot of fun. So I always loved seeing those two go head to head. But yeah, CP3 to me, even in his old age, I always put old in quotes because like he's old relatively for, for basketball standards. But in his old age, he's perfect for this, for this Phoenix team. They've got enough guys that in theory, they can build some leads against maybe some of the lower-level teams in the league. CP, th- CP doesn't have to play ridiculous minutes in these games. They can let Devin Booker be their closer. Jay Crowder can come in, make big shots. DeAndre Ayton can do his thing. Cameron Payne is somebody who's, who's really improved. Yeah. When he first came into the league, he struggled. He, could not con- he couldn't keep up, and he was somebody who shined in the bubble last year. We did a game against Phoenix, one of their eight wins, and they had to win at the buzzer. It was a game that and Avica Zubac is, I would say, still – he still hits himself for it. He, he still gets on himself for it because he, basically the Clippers got the stop with about 10 seconds left, and Zubac had the rebound in his hands and just had it stripped at the last second. It might have been Rubio. might have been somebody else who stripped it. Booker eventually has it in his hands, and then there's the, the famous fadeaway over Kawhi and PG at the buzzer. That was one of their eight wins. That was probably the most impressive of their eight wins. And in that game, Cameron Payne was unconscious. The dude was just making plays left and right. And I think that he CP3 has been really good for somebody like him to keep him developing and make sure that he can add to this already potent young core. So I, I've loved watching them. I'm excited to see how they develop. Monty Williams is an underrated head coach as well. As, as I, I said last time, Quinn Snyder, nobody gives him his due diligence, in my opinion. Uh, so I think it'll be a fun game between those two, and then we get to see both of them back-to-back after each other. Want to wrap up here just because it's the team that eliminated both squads in the playoffs last season. The Nuggets saw them on Christmas Day as a rematch of that Western Conference final. What have you seen from them, and, and how can they – improve their ceiling which many people are very high on with what they were able to do in the bubble yeah I'm not sure that Nikola Jokic Jokic can be playing much better than he is right now the dude's been on a tear he's been a triple double machine he's putting up ridiculous numbers Jamal Murray's been a little sluggish to start the season but I'm not worried about him he can turn it on seemingly anytime he wants Michael Porter Jr. offensively has been great but to me, the thing that I've noticed, and it's not surprising, and it's something that I think a lot of people predicted, is they're missing Jeremy Grant on the defensive end a lot. And they're missing Torrey Craig on the defensive end a lot. And Will Barton has tried to fill that void. Jermichael Green had been hurt to start the season. I think when he started, we know Jermichael very well in Clipperland. He's an invaluable piece to that bench unit. And when he starts to at least find a rhythm in Denver, I think that can help them a lot. But it's hard to replace those guys. Jeremy Grant is one of the, the best perimeter defenders from with his length, with his athleticism. He was the reason that 
late in that series, games five, six, and seven, Kawhi Leonard struggled to get easy opportunities, struggled to get easy looks because Jeremy Grant, quite frankly, was playing great defense on him. So they're going to miss that. And Torrey Craig came in, didn't care if he scored, didn't care what happened. He just cared about shutting down his man. And a lot of times that was Paul George, and he did a decent job on Paul George. So those two on the defensive end, that's going to be hard to replace because Jokic defensively can struggle at times. We know Michael Porter Jr. can struggle defensively at times. He's working on it, and you can tell that he's putting in the effort, which I've been I've liked to see that because he has so much talent. You want to see him put it all together. That's the key for them. Can they figure it out defensively? Because if they're good on the defensive end, the offense they'll never have to worry about. Jokic can create offense for everybody else on the team and himself simultaneously, no matter what the defense on the other side looks at. So it's all about them on the defensive end. Can they get stops consistently back to back to put together runs to put teams away all of that type of stuff because what we saw in the game against the Clippers we we had built up a huge lead 20 plus points and again Denver they continue to fight until the very end Jamal Murray put together a string of of, let's say 10 or 12 points in a row he had 10 points going into the fourth quarter he had 10 points within the first three or four minutes of the fourth quarter the dude can get red hot at any given time but what ended up happening was the Clippers with their new offensive weapons their new offensive outlook Serge Ibaka hit big shots. Lou Williams hit a big shot. Patrick Beverly hit a big shot. And the Clippers stiff-armed basically the Nuggets until the final buzzer. So for me, it's all about if they can get stops, which they did in those two series in games five, six, and seven, then they can still revert back to what we saw at their peak level last year. But it's hard to replace guys like Jeremy Grant and Torrey Craig because they are hard-nosed and all they care about at times is I'm going to make, make it my mission to stop the best player on the opposing team. And I'm not sure they have that. Craig was, um, before Donovan went all Gary Trent against the Nuggets in the playoffs, <laughs> Craig was his toughest assignment. I, I, I remember the stories leading up where Torrey Craig, it's a good matchup for the Nuggets. And then obviously things change once he drops 50 in your face and then yep. again does it and then 40 the next night. And then another 30 piece on top of that. Yep. It was, it was impressive. They, they definitely will, will be missing Tory Craig. Last thing for you. How often will you be bringing up screen assists in your broadcasts? <laughs> not, not often, not often. Wait, what are you talking about? What's, what's the big hang up with screen assists now? I have no issues with screen assists, no issues. But uh, I would say that the, the general radio audience of Los Angeles is not as excited about screen assists as they are about the blocks. The Clippers' the last couple of games have been blocking everything at the rim. And so if I'm going to give the centers credit, I'm going to go with that side of things because Ivica Zubac, for the first time in his career, has three or more blocks in back-to-back games. Sergi Baca, his nickname is a blocka for a reason. We've got a blocka. We've got Zublock. Reggie Jackson, who's like six foot three, he went upstairs against the Timberwolves and blocked a dunk attempt at the rim. He then got postered later in the game. But – we're only going to talk about the, the block. I mean, the dude got upstairs in a hurry. So they've got a bunch of guys who are actually contesting at the rim, which is why I'm excited about this Jazz Clippers matchup because I really believe those centers are going to be the key. I think it's going to be that Gobert-Ibaka matchup and then off the bench, the Favors and Zubats matchup that could decide the game because we know that Donovan's going to get his. We know Kawhi and PG are going to get theirs. Bogdanovich is going to do his thing. You've got uh, Ingles off the bench doing his thing. Clarkson can score. Connolly can score. The Clippers have all their weapons with Lou and Jackson now playing well and Luke Kennard and Batum. But to me, the X factor is which center matchup 
is going to come out on top because both of these centers, both sides and both units are exceptionally good. Truly. He screens a Zubac. <laughs> you want, you want that to be included? I can do it just for you. Look, screen assists. I just, I just want to get out in front of this because it's Sir, made Sir, rounds. Yeah, that works. See, there you go. Start <laughs> working on these. Uh, bigs, they don't get the credit that they deserve. So we've decided screen assist is how we're going to quantify what they do. And, and that's been the big talk just as far as Rudy Gobert, favoriting things that, that have uh, screen assist tweeted in them. Well, we need to realize here, just, just if I, I bring it back down, a little dose of real. Rudy Gobert, he's the best offensive tackle in the country. Just be okay that he's a great offensive tackle and he pr protects your quarterback. No need to make up a, a fancy title uh, knockdowns per minute stat to just defend his honor. Let's just let's go with the traditional one. If, if you watch hoop, you know Rudy Gobert defends the rim and he's, he's good enough getting the stats that he has. He's got double-doubles on top of double-doubles. He'll be fine. And same yeah, with for the bigs awesome. with the Clippers. He's awesome. I'm glad that we've gotten into center talk because you're right. They, they never get a, a fully appreciated. And Rudy's one of the best in the NBA, and he's proven that over his career. He earned his big contract. And I, I just think that it's, I'm glad he's gotten at least some recognition because it feels like everyone just says, well, he's only, he's only a good defender. No, no, he does, he does a lot on the court. He sets great screens. He rolls to the rim, putbacks, offensive rebounds, tapbacks, all of it. He does it all. And he's willing to get into the trenches and get physical as well, which is something early in his career that he struggled with. So he put on the weight, he put on the muscle. And that's why I'm excited for the matchup because I think Serge, he's so good. Serge is so underrated. That, that signing was also underrated. I know that it was a big deal for like 10 minutes and then people forgot about it. He's been unbelievable for them. The dude can shoot. The dude's got a, a great feel for the game, great help defender, all of it. And then I mentioned you get two starting caliber centers off the bench. We know Derek Favors can start on pretty much 29 other teams. And Avica Zubac was starting for the Clippers last year and played well in a starting role. So you've got two starting centers on each team going head to head throughout the game. Whoever wins those matchups is going to win the game. Mark my words. Whoever, because I said it going into the Timberwolves game without Carl Anthony Towns, Nas Reed was starting at center. He's 6'9. They're they had Hernan Gomez coming off the bench. He's not a traditional center. To me, the Clipper, I, I said going in, Clipper centers are going to dominate. Sure enough, Avica Zubats and Sergi Baca just go nuts. Clippers had 10 blocks as a team in the game. Like, they, they crushed it on the inside. Same deal last night. I said if they can control Nurkic and the interior, they'll be okay. And that's exactly what they did. To me, it's tough against Utah and it's tough against Phoenix because both of them have very competent and capable centers on the interior. Do you ever get any screen assists at that Bobby Hurley camp? <laughs> like Steph Curry uh, no. screen assists, right? You go at off. the time when I was, let's say I was probably 15 or 16, a formidable five foot five. Yeah, I was, I was get wide. I was, Oh, I, I really lumbered through. I held a solid base. My feet were like cement on the floor. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Bob Hurley was very impressed. Aside from the Seinfeld knowledge, he said, uh, good screen assist. Sounds about right. I hope screen assist make the broadcast uh, tomorrow. <laughs> I'll, I'll get at least one mention just for you. I appreciate it. Tweet it at us both if, if Noah 
gets in the screen assist. Noah, radio voice of the LA Clippers, Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. Thanks so much. Of course. Thank you for having me.